Well, thank you, Barb. Some of you may know that we call ourselves the Lifeway Church, and the reason is our tagline is Real Life, God's Way. And I think Barb did a fantastic job sharing her heart, and I think I love this, and I love this part of the service, and I love it when so many of you have and will in the future get up here and share your heart, your the realness of your life, and what God has done in your life, and where you were, and where you've come to, and where you are now, and it's it's real life God's way. And so anyway, uh, thank you for talking about being drunk and swearing. Uh, appreciate that. A lot of people here feel very normal now. So... It's good. You've related. That's good. Thank you. Real life, God's way. Well, uh, let's open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to get there in just a moment. We start a series. This is now, I believe, the third message in our series, How to Motivate Others. And uh, hopefully it's uh, helpful for you and very practical for you. We've talked about a, a couple of things already, is that we all have the opportunity in the church to motivate one another. And in fact, that's God's plan for us. But it's a great opportunity that we have in a fellowship, not just to attend church, not just to show up, not just to be a church member, but to impact each other's lives. And it really takes all of us to be able to do that. The other thing that we talked about specifically last week, we're just talking about practicals. And what we're going to do is we're looking at examples from the life of Jesus. We're going to do that again today about how Jesus motivated because Jesus was a master motivator. And Jesus took 12 common, ordinary men and he turned the world upside down through his influence and his motivation of them. And so we looked at a story about Jesus last week. We'll look at another one today. But the story last week, we went all the way back to in John chapter 1 where Jesus met the guys that would be his followers for the very first time. Specifically, he met John and Andrew. And the first thing that he did was ask them a question. If you are here last week, do you remember that? Is what do you want? And this is where we need to start in motivating each other. We need to love each other enough and care about each other enough to ask questions, to let Let us be known to each other, to share your heart, to share your feelings, to share your dreams, to share your desires. And they spent the whole afternoon together, and it was really a great beginning to what Jesus was able to do in their life because he cared about what was going on in their life, and he cared about what was going on in their heart, and certainly we should do the same. So another example from Jesus today. I want to start with a a riddle. And so, if you know the answer, I don't want you, I want you to be disciplined, Frank. I don't want you to yell it out, because I know how you are. You're that guy in every class who, as soon as the teacher asks away, ooh! So, Frank, don't be that guy today, all right? Just keep it to yourself. So, this is a riddle that I want you to consider. What am I talking about? It's been called the strongest muscle in the human body. Don't say it. The interesting thing about this muscle is that it never gets tired and no exercise is required. Some of you are going, okay, I know where you're going now. And the last part of the riddle is it's very easy to start using it, but very hard to stop using it. So, Frank, what am I talking about? 
No. So sorry I embarrassed you like that, Frank. Anybody else have an idea? One of, one of our uh, fifth, sixth grade? Yes. Kai? The tongue, yes. The tongue. Thank you. Kai, maybe you should teach the class, and Frank, maybe Frank could be in the class. So it's an interesting thing, the, uh, the tongue. The, uh, if you do a little bit of research on this, and there's different numbers that you can get, and some of you may have heard this before. I don't know if it surprised you, but the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. That sounds like a lot to me. Now, the interesting thing as well is there's several studies that have been done. Some studies claim that women use twice as many words, if not three times as many words, as men. Now, there are other studies. There are other studies say, no, that's a myth. That's bogus. Men and women talk exactly the same amount. And I am not going to get into that. Okay, I'm just going to let you, I'm just going to let you figure that out and wrestle with that. But the, the people who say that women speak more say women speak because they have a deep desire to communicate and want to connect with people. The problem is men only speak when they need something. When they want to know, do I have clean underwear? What's for dinner? And what time is dinner? So maybe that explains, if there is a discrepancy, maybe that explains it. But it's very important as we go deeper into this thing about motivating, that we, we need to understand the power of our words. And that's the title for the lesson today, the power of our words. And so I want to start out with this one scripture in Proverbs 18 and then go to John 1 to continue with the example of Jesus. Proverbs 18.21, it is on the screen here. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. It's like atomic energy. It's like several other things that you could think of that are powerful. They could be used for good or they could be used for bad. But there's no doubt about it, they're powerful. And there's power in our words. And of course, God wants to use our words to motivate one another and power for good. But I want you to just consider this. And this could be a little bit intense. But if we reflect for just a moment, couldn't we all agree, all of us, our lives in so many ways have been shaped by the things that people have said to us from our youth. It's not just the events of our life. It's not just the environment, you know, and where we lived and what was going on in the neighborhood and all that. But as much as anything, maybe more than anything, it's the things that people have said to us that have shaped our lives. And some of those things have been good. And they've shaped our life in a good way. And some of those things have been bad tongue has the power of life and death. You know, I bet you can agree with me. There are some things that people have said to me that I will never forget. And some of them I would like to forget. 
Because they were things that were harsh. They were things that were unloving. They were things that were mean. They were unkind. They said something that the hurt was put there that, that still I have to deal with today. On the other hand, there are things that people have said to me that are good things that have helped me that I'll never forget. Somebody said a long time ago, words have a longer life than deeds. Something to consider. What if we all started to believe in the power of our words? What a great church it would be. What a greater, much greater church it would be if all of us took responsibility for our words and made a deliberate effort to bring our words into somebody else's life for their benefit, to produce good, to produce life, to produce something that's good. Jesus understood the power of his words. He understood the power of our words. Let's go over to John chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you were here, if you were not here, I'll review for you. I believe the scriptures will be up on the screen. We're going to start in verse 40. But first, I just want to remind you that we've gone all the way back to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And we're reading the very first account of the very first people who would be his followers. And last week we talked about it, Andrew and John and the question that Jesus asked. And they spent the day together and... So here we see today the first time that Jesus meets Peter. And if you don't know that, and perhaps you already do, Peter turns out to be and will become an incredibly significant person in the spread of Christianity in the first century. Not only did he become a follower of Jesus, he became one of the twelve that we call apostles that were specifically designated to carry on the work after Jesus left. And even he had a special role there where he was the guy, one of the best friends of Jesus, who in Acts chapter 2 we read about this Christianity begins. He preaches that sermon. He's designated by God, is given the keys to the kingdom as it were, and he is the guy who's there out front. He wrote several books of the New Testament. No doubt Peter was one of the most important people that we read about in the, in the Scriptures. And so here's the first time that Jesus talks or meets Peter. And let's see what we learn here. John 1 verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what Jesus had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Here we go. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, if you didn't know this, there's a little note at the bottom, a footnote in my Bible, maybe there is in yours, that Cephas... Or Peter, they mean they're, they're different languages. They mean the same thing. They mean rock. So, according to what John records, 
There may have been a lot of things said that day. I have imagined that was more than just that one statement that Jesus said. You know, it wasn't like Jesus walked up and said, You're Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, dropped the mic and walked away. There's a good chance there was a further discussion. And maybe there was a discussion of what he meant by that. But that's not recorded here. The only thing that John wants us to know, and if we believe as I do the inspired word of God, the only thing that God wants us to know was that very first meeting they had, when he met Peter, he gave him a vision for not who he was, but who he would become. Because, spoiler alert, if you haven't read it yet, it turns out that Peter, arguably, of all the apostles that would be selected, was the least spiritual. You know, it's interesting that Andrew was his brother, and Andrew was the one who was a disciple of John the Baptist, and Andrew was the one who had just spent the day with Jesus. Where was Peter? Why wasn't he in the crowd? Why was he with with Andrew? You know, frequently, a good guess is Peter was off fishing somewhere. Because that's what Peter was doing a lot of the time. He doesn't seem to be intensely spiritual. Also, we find out that Peter was, let me be kind about this, he was emotionally volatile. I said that well, didn't I? Notice I didn't say he was unstable or deranged or in desperate need of counseling, even though he may have been all of those. But that's one of the things that makes Peter such a joy to look at because he, we can relate to him. He was emotionally up and down. That's what we're going to find out. He was all over the place all the time. And here's the other thing about Peter that if you don't know, you'd find out if you read later on. And I invite you to do that. Peter did not change quickly. In fact, Jesus had a ministry of about three years And if you read it, the story, it seems that Peter remained this emotionally volatile, perhaps unspiritual, unchanging guy for the next three years. And even when Jesus went to the cross, remember the story? Some of you know it. He denied Jesus. Then he went back to fishing. There he goes again. Jesus had to come and get him. And it seems like it was only after a period of years and he saw the resurrected Jesus that Peter actually became the rock that Jesus believed he could be and that Jesus believed that he would be. I wonder if Peter even understood what Jesus was saying to him here. I think there's a good chance he didn't. But you know what? I don't believe Peter ever forgot that conversation. And certainly John and the guy who records this never forgot that conversation. Because if you didn't understand all that Jesus meant, i got to believe he walked away from that conversation going, Jesus, the Son of God, doesn't see me as I am, but he sees me as I will be. And Jesus cares. And Jesus believes in me. And Jesus evidently is going to hang around and help me become, go from what I am now to this rock. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus believes I can be more. And he's going to help me. Let me first of all say, no matter who you are in the audience today, whether you're a believer in Jesus 
or you've never been a believer in Jesus, or you're somewhere in between in your faith, and you're up here, or you're down here, whoever you are, wherever you are, Jesus sees you for what you are, but He also sees that you can be more than that. And He also believes that you can be more than that. Jesus wants us to help each other to see that no matter where we are, we can be more than we are now. And that we will be more than we are now. You know, with Jesus, and this is the way we need to be another one or another, it's like a sculptor. Have you ever seen anybody actually sculpt? You know what I'm talking about, right? Somebody takes a large, unformed mass of stone, for instance. And it looks like nothing. But in their mind, the sculptor, this artist, this person who has talent and skill, they're able to visualize something. They're able to visualize uh, a statue, a bust of, of David, or, you know, like Michelangelo did, or whoever, whatever it is. Think about some great sculptor. And they take this large and they just start, they really only got, you know, a hammer and a chisel. And it takes a long time, but they just start chipping away. And in their mind, they envision something that's beautiful. And in the end, it takes a long time. It becomes something beautiful when it's a true artist and a talented artist. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. But that's what Jesus wants us to do for each other. To have a vision. And to help each other. What if we were all like Jesus? What if we all believed in people and used the power of our words to help people to believe in what God could do in them? I think everybody would agree with this, so I'll just throw it out there. Most people do not believe in themselves. You know, there are some people who do believe in themselves. Most of them are arrogant and irritating. You know who I'm talking about, right? No matter what happens and no matter what the facts indicate, they believe in themselves. And they're frequently difficult people to work with. And not people that we enjoy. But most people don't believe in themselves. We all need somebody to be our champion. Somebody's to be our champion. Somebody who loves us and somebody who cares and has a vision for us and who communicates their vision for them. It's not any help that I have a vision for you if I don't tell you that I have a vision for you. And a lot of us, we don't hear it enough. And so we're not motivated because we don't have anybody who we feel like is in our court that's our champion that believes in us. Most people don't believe in themselves. But you know what? Here's the encouraging thing. 
It doesn't have to be a lot of people. Even just one person who believes in you and you believe in them can make all the difference. I mean, I got to think, did anybody believe in Peter except Jesus? Right? I mean, I read the story, and we're going to read some more stories about Jesus and Peter and how he motivated him. But I'm like, you know, about this time, I think I would have encouraged Peter to look for another job. You know, Peter, we're just going to have to let you go. This is not working out. You know, we've given you plenty of opportunities, Peter. Did anybody believe? It just took Jesus, one, one guy who kept believing in him. You know, I look at my life, and I'm, I'm just going to real life God's way, okay? So I'm going to share personally, I feel very blessed because I've had people who believed in me all along the way. And I think I have been terribly blessed by that. On the other hand, and maybe you've had more, maybe you had less. It hasn't really been all that many people. My mom and dad believed in me. And, you know, I know some of you may feel like my mom or my dad or neither one of them ever believed in me. And I understand that's a real thing that happens. I was very blessed. My mom and dad believed in me. I mean, my mom used to tell me all the time, son, you can do anything you want to do. And so I told her I wanted to be a professional baseball player, professional basketball player, and a professional football player, astronaut, and president of the United States. And she said, go for it, son. You can do it. Don't worry about it. Nobody's ever done that before. Put that out of your mind. You can do it. You can do it, Captain. Star Trek, oblique Star Trek reference, but forget about it. So my parents believed in me. And then I had a couple of basketball coaches who believed in me and that I could achieve something and be something. And, you know, you got to keep in mind that in the eighth grade, I was five foot four and weighed 135 pounds. I didn't look like a basketball player. And, you know, and so, but I had some coaches that believed in me. And, and then spiritually, of course, I came to faith and You know, it's been really not that many people, but some very significant people. Sam Lang believed in me when I was a young Christian. Marty Fuquay believed in me starting over 25 years ago when we started. And he's still the person that above all, you know, when I feel like I don't know what I'm doing or I feel like I can't do it or I feel like I'm failing or whatever it is, If I go talk to Marty, or he'll talk to me without me even asking, I find somebody who has a vision for me. So if you ever want to fire me, you're going to have to go through Marty. I just want to put that out. I just want to put that out there. You should understand that. And, you know, I don't know if you want to, I don't know if you want to try that, Marlon. But anyway, um, I want you to understand something that I know you know is true already. You can't motivate somebody if you don't have a vision for them. And I want you to understand this. People know whether you really believe in them or you don't. And it's not even if you might say you do. But people know. 
Don't you know? Now, a lot of you right now, some of you right now, might be thinking, well, you know, I hope the people that are my friends are listening because I feel like I need a vision. I need somebody to give me a vision. And I hope they listen to Reese so that he, so they decide to give me a vision. You bad-hearted person. Just kidding. I hope you find that. Pray for that. But what I want you to do more than anything in this church is not sit around and wait for somebody else to believe in you. Why don't you take a step forward and you start believing in somebody and you start loving somebody and you start caring about somebody and you start believing that somebody could be more than they ever would, could be otherwise. And maybe God will send somebody around your way. This just popped into my head, and so I apologize if it's not a good idea. But what if you got paid $1,000 for every person that you really, in this fellowship, that you really believed in? Told you it was a bad idea. How much would you have in your pocket? How much would you walk out of here today with? See, this is practical. This is real life God's way. Jesus didn't just say, Peter, I got a vision for you to be something you're not, and then walk away and say, I'm going to pray for you. For three, I bet for, you know, you say Jesus wasn't in, wasn't on the earth very long. That's true. I mean, his ministry was three years. I read the story and I got to go think, that's got to be three really long years. <laughs> Where he was really busy and he was really frequently frustrated, not only by the people that he was trying to introduce to God, but by the very people who were decided to follow him. And Peter got to be at the top of the list. Right? You know, the great thing about doing this in the church. I mean, this is important in any area of your life, right? I mean, you already figured that out. I mentioned my parents. I mentioned the coaches that helped me in basketball. And it's even more powerful in the faith. Because here's something that you have, if we know you have if you're in the faith, is that you have the opportunity for God to work in your life. One of the things I loved about Barb sharing, it was about what God had done and what God had worked. See, if I say I have a vision for Kevin Kawai, I don't have to just look at him and all his natural talents and abilities because we don't really know how many he has. No, we do, of course. But... My vision is not based on a worldly sense of the talents and abilities that he was born with or even the ones he's developed by his own effort. But it's ba- I, my vision for him can be based on God being able to do something in his life that no other person could ever do and produce. I don't have to have a vision for you specifically as much as I have to have a vision for what God can do in your life. Isn't that much better?
So maybe this was obvious to you before you came in today. If you're going to be good at motivating each other, we're going to be good at motivating each other. We're going to have to have a real vision for each other. And we're going to have to use our words, the power of our words to communicate that. Don't expect people to figure it out on their own. Maybe you already knew that. But maybe sometimes, even in the church, we know things in our head and we know things, but we're not doing it. What good is it to know what you ought to do, but you don't do it? So I'm going to leave you with this suggestion. In the next week, in every sermon, if you're new here, every sermon I'm going to give you a suggestion. I would call an assignment, but then you'd think you were back in school and, you know, I would lose you. But it's a way to put this into practice. I want you to this week deliberately speak to three different people and tell them why you believe in them and why you have a vision for them. And you can do it outside of this room, of course, but I'd like you to, I'd like you to do it with three people in this room. What if in every small group, and again, if you're new to the church, you may not know this, we're not a church with small groups, we're a church of small groups. We believe that's where the magic happens. That's where we get the connections, we have the small group connection. What if in every small group, everybody in that small group knew that every other brother and every other sister in that small group believed in them? How fantastic would that be? And you know what? There's no reason that can't happen. Not because you're so awesome, but because God is awesome. And God could take you, just like he did Peter, and make somebody that was, nobody else may have had a vision for, and do them, use them to do extraordinary things. Through vision, the common and the ordinary can become extraordinary. We're going to say a prayer to close, and then I want to encourage you, the newcomer's reception is going to begin immediately out in the courtyard, down the stairs, in the multi-purpose room. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to learn from Jesus. We want to know the power of our words. We want to exercise that in our relationships with other people. In this fellowship, we want to be a fellowship where vision is given and lives can change. Thank you for the opportunity. Grace, by the blood of Jesus, and we pray. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your day.